Stories, fables, ghostly tales. A boy discovers a new friend, and this friend shares with him a darkness from his past. A fable, a myth, an urban legend. But something is amiss. Oh yes, something most dark, most worrisome. And it involves marshmallows. Oh yes. And a bridge is surrounded by borders. A gate to keep out the unaware, the non-believers, the trespassers of the dark. Listeners, join me for the Hanging Man Hill Continued and the Old Bridge in the Park, both episodes in their own right, sure to bring about the heebie-jeebs. <laughs> this episode will not have an outro today, as I'll be heading out with my family and won't have the time to fit that in, but I will add a shortened thank you right now, so as not to miss you lovelies out. I want to thank my special O-Night Titan, Maya, for your amazingly awesome level of support, who has single-handedly shaped this podcast. Thank you, Maya, you legend. My white tea warlord, Leza Bauer, for being awesome and always supporting this podcast, providing me access to wonderful tools. Thank you so much, mate. And my brilliant Earl Grey Enforcers, Chad Warren, Just Heather, Paige Martini, Peter Avelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Tea Time Drinker 1, and Divided by Zero. Thank you all for supporting this show, and I'll see you Monday for more brilliant tales. Now turn the lights off, the sound up, and get ready for something special. Like you lot. Enjoy. When we were headed home, just as the last tint of orange had left the sky, I asked him, Why'd you get so serious back there? You're always such a total goofball. I lost my grandpa to Roy Terrence. My grandma was with him when it happened. Haven't you ever wondered why she's so grumpy all the time? Her grandmother was, in fact, very crotchety. I had never bothered to ask why she was that way. If this was all some elaborate hoax by Terry, I was going to slap him into next Thursday when this was done. That night, I had a horrible nightmare. Like most people, I couldn't remember much about it, but it had Royce Terrence written all over it. Even though it was roasting on that hot South Carolina night, I had woken up with the chills. By the time 6pm had rolled around, I had already packed my old school backpack with basic equipment like a flashlight and a few bags of Chex Mex, in case we got hungry. By 6.30, I had rolled out into the neighborhood as fast as an overweight 11-year-old could. I had to admit I was actually pretty excited. Finally, at around 6.55, I arrived at the small creek where Terry had already set up a small fire and was roasting marshmallows. If I hadn't decided to show up... I would have disappointed him like hell. How is this exactly going to work out? Are we just going to camp out here all night? We don't know when he's supposed to show up. I said. He had stopped his face with a marshmallow. What? He crammed the marshmallow down his throat. I said, I'll wait all night here if I have to. 
Whatever, I retorted as I plopped down next to his fire. He had thrown three lighters into it to keep it lit and begun to pull out my snacks. After about three hours, the first of the crickets had begun to sing their endless chirping song as the last streak of sun had reached its end. I had begun to grow irritated and a little bit tired. Terry was wide awake, his hand glued to the bag of marshmallows. He had begun his eternal gaze on the top of the pole again. Terry, man, I'm tired. If I don't get a crispy dead dude in the next hour, I'm out. Okay. His cheek stuck out like a squirrel's with another marshmallow. I snuggled up to the fire and began to doze off. Just as I was about to slip into unconsciousness, a loud, crusty, brittle peeling sound echoed through the hills and out into the forest. I immediately sat up. My vision was pretty blurred from having almost dozed off, but I could make out Terry's shape. He was gaping, wide-eyed, at the top of the pole. If there had been a bit of moonlight, I might have seen what I was sure to have seen up there, but the crescent moon sat just beyond the trees, like the shed. In an instant, Terry was on his bike and flying up the hill, bag of marshmallows in hand. I managed to pull myself up and get to my bike, I began pedaling like a madman when I realized that my chain had popped off. Stupid damn bike! With my eyes adjusting to the dark, I peered back at the top of the pole one more time before I bolted to the top of the hill. Roy Terrence was not so much of a person as he was a sagging shape. His flesh, dark as the night, was clinging to his bones for dear life. His facial features, though not entirely evident, seemed to be in a constant state of both agony and ecstatic joy, and that eye, that one eye he had left deep in its socket, gazed upon me with absolute hatred and insatiable want. Just when it seemed that he was ready to climb off the wire and come for me, the weak spine that had been holding his head to that molten pile of flesh and bones snapped, sending what was left of his skull tumbling into the fire Terry had started. It gave me one glowing, burning, satisfied grin before disintegrating into a wisp of ash. I had been halfway up the hill before I had realized I was moving. I followed the bite tracks Terry had left, which led further into the hills instead of off to the side, where the trail led back to the neighborhood. Just as I clawed my way to the top of the hill, I saw a thin shape dangling from above. Oh no. I croaked. Terry's bike, that blazing orange bike that he loved so much, was left wrecked at the base of a telephone pole. Above, Terry's body hung limply, although it didn't look much like Terry anymore. Terry hadn't been on the wires as long as Roy, which made it even worse. He was charred, but not entirely. His eyes bulged from his head in constant shock. What was left of his hair? stood out on end, still smoking. The seemingly endless wires above entangled Terry's neck like a boa constrictor. Dangling from his scrawny, burnt little arm was a bag of marshmallows, melted to his hand from the heat. The police investigation hadn't dug up much. They had scoured all throughout the area and had not found any evidence that anyone was ever there. I begged them to search the telephone wires, but they continued to state that there was no evidence that anybody had even touched the wires. 
the search continued for three weeks. After police had finally given up, Terry's grandmother passed away. For those last few days, she hadn't said anything to anyone at all. She only sat and stared at the picture of her and her husband for the remainder of her life. After the house had been cleared out, the contents of Terry's room were offered to me. His entire collection of horror movies, action figures, and all else was donated to Goodwill. My request. I went back a few years later. We had gone to Gaston to visit our family for a while, and I had requested that we stop by the neighborhood. Any evidence that we had ever been there those few fateful years ago had been swept away by the police or the weather. Now, like before, there was only useless garbage and telephone poles. Just as I was getting ready to walk away, I caught a glimpse of something in the corner of my eye. I only saw a tiny bit of it before it fluttered away. It was a melted marshmallow bag. The children in the town of knew better than to cross the old bridge in the park, especially during the evening hours on foggy nights. Even the grown-ups stayed clear, knowing that those who dared venture out were doomed never to be seen again. And everyone knows grown-ups are usually pretty naive when it comes to such matters. They had even made an effort to stop people from crossing the bridge by making a gate that closed every day an hour before sundown to block access to the park. The grown-ups seemed so proud of themselves for protecting the little ones, and so the children didn't have the heart to tell them that it was a waste of money, better spent buying birthday and Christmas presents. Everyone knew better than to cross that bridge, so there was no reason for a gate at all. Unfortunately, Eleanor was nobody. And even if she was somebody, she was a very stupid little girl. Born and raised in the next town over, little Eleanor had only recently moved to when her parents divorced and her father and new stepmother got full custody of her. Though she fancied the idea that she was just too clever to get along with the other children, the opposite was in fact true. She was nearly as arrogant as a grown-up, constantly questioning things and demanding evidence for every trivial truth. Some of the harsher rumors claimed that she didn't believe in ghosts, aliens, or even the completely inarguable fact that the fourth grade homeroom teacher, Mr. Mason, was a werewolf-demon hybrid from Heck, who worked for the devil himself. Thus, Eleanor had rightfully replaced paste-eating Patty as the village idiot in elementary school. Even so, Eleanor was very prideful, no matter how much the other children chastised her for saying silly things like, there's no such thing as the baby-biting sewer clowns. She persisted. It wasn't long before everyone started avoiding her, fearing that her blatant disrespect of the supernatural made her dangerous and unlucky. At first, Eleanor didn't seem to mind too much, as her vanity deluded her into thinking she was better off alone anyway since apparently she was just so much more intelligent than all the other children anyway. Still, even nobodies get lonely, 
And so when she heard the other children discussing the matter of the old bridge in the park, she couldn't help but to butt in. Oh, come on. How is a bridge going to eat children? It's just a bunch of stones. The children had heard her say many strange things, but now she had gone too far. Even the grown-ups knew how dangerous the old bridge was. A few of the kinder, more patient ones gave Eleanor a pitiful glance, reminding themselves that she didn't know any better. But while things like Mr. Mason and the sewer clowns were survivable, the old bridge in the park promised at least a bazillion percent chance of never being seen again. Sure, the children hated Eleanor, but they wouldn't wish such a fate upon even the worst of little girls. They begged and pleaded with her to drop the subject as she demanded proof and credible sources of information. Some were valiant enough to promise to invite Eleanor to their birthday parties if she'd only promised never to cross the bridge. But stubborn little Eleanor wouldn't listen to reason or bribery. She swore to them that she'd prove that the old bridge was nothing to fear using a hand-me-down video camera she'd received on her ninth birthday. Tonight, I'm going to cross the old bridge, she said, and then you'll see how foolish you all are. There was no way to stop her from killing herself without putting some effort into trying. Distraught, the sweet and generous children of decided they'd try and be nice to Eleanor on her last day alive. All except Patty, who wasn't too keen on being the stupidest child in school again. By not stealing the dessert from her lunch and not throwing worms at her during recess, Eleanor didn't appreciate their efforts. That night, Eleanor snuck out of the safety of her home, biked to the park, and struggled over the gate. Tonight was particularly foggy, and it took her longer than expected to get to the bridge. Apparently, the gate wasn't the only precaution the grown-ups took. They had also changed the paths around, so that the only way to get to the old bridge was by following the winding deer paths through the marshy woods. It was eerily quiet. No owls hooted, and no crickets chirped. Any reasonable person would have recognized this silence as an omen of horrible tragedy to come. But not a girl who denied even the existence of moon vampires. Armed only with her reckless self-confidence and a flashlight, Eleanor walked to her own demise. By the time she found the bridge, it was nearly a quarter past ten widely known in the town of to be the most sinister of times. Obviously this was true, why else would the grown-ups rush them to their rooms and demand they sleep until the sunrise promised their safety? Eleanor either willingly ignored the time or just did not know its significance as she turned on the camera. Eleanor gave a cheery smile into the camera and said her hellos, almost passing as a normal little girl until going into a smug little rant about how stupid she thought everyone was and how she couldn't wait to see the looks on their faces when she proved to them that she was right. She was so self-satisfied that God himself probably considered striking her down with a lightning bolt for being so prideful, but then decided he was better off not wasting his precious time. 
She lifted her foot to step onto the bridge, but hesitated. As if just for a second, the ignorance crowding her mind had cleared. It wasn't too late to turn back. If she chickened out now, the other children would surely only make fun of her cowardice for a few weeks, and as a bonus she'd not suffer what was most likely a horrible death. After an agonizing 12 seconds of thought, Eleanor put her foot down on the stone of the bridge. When she wasn't immediately exploded into confetti or elsewise injured, she let out a whoop of celebration and started bragging incessantly to her camera. Meanwhile, God was probably reconsidering his leniency. As she walked on, she prattled onto the camera and bragged about how clever she was. All in all, it took nearly five minutes of self-righteous babbling before Eleanor realized something was amiss. This is a very long bridge, isn't it? Thinking she had misjudged the width of the river, Eleanor peeked out the railing, only to see there was nothing below her. And it's foggy, I can't see a thing. Maybe people have gone missing because they fell off. Despite her efforts to see the river, she couldn't even hear it. No matter how much she tried to clean and pop her ears, the fog made it impossible to find it. But it had to be there, right? And so she continued on, every step making her more and more anxious. At this rate, her camera was going to run out of batteries. Any rational person would have turned tail and run screaming like a banshee that had stepped on a Lego. But again, Eleanor hesitated. She checked the time on the watch she had borrowed from her stepmother as if it would tick out. Nope, everything is perfectly normal. Do carry on. In Morse code. This must be broken. Surely I've not been walking for a whole 30 minutes. Her panic only rose when she checked to see how long the camera had been recording Eleanor hadn't pressed the button, and all this time she'd been talking to no one like a complete maniac. Before she had time to swear aloud, her flashlight had the nerve to flicker. Not only had she forgotten to record this experience, she'd left her spare batteries at home. Eleanor was in trouble, though she didn't yet realize how much trouble she was in. Even now she thought the worst that would happen is she'd get lost on the way home without any light to guide her way. Her shoulders slumped, and with a pounce, she turned around to head back before her battery died completely. She felt almost as dumb as she was, wandering into the woods so underprepared. Cockiness killed the cat, Eleanor supposed, though by killed, she actually meant non-lethally inconvenienced. Maybe she'd try again tomorrow night. It felt like three hours passed, but in reality, it was closer to two and a half. Eleanor, patron saint of not believing anything without proof, ignored the very real evidence of her stepmother's watch, telling her it was nearly one in the morning. Unable to control herself anymore, she burst into a sprint and ran as fast as her little legs could carry her, desperate to see the bank of the river. Her flashlight gave out, and so did her confidence. She screamed as loudly as she could and fell into a heap onto the cool stone of the bridge. What was she supposed to do now? Turning back clearly wasn't any good, and seeing as the park was closed, there was no one around to hear her pitiful cries for help. And so Eleanor gave up. Instead of running around screaming, she opted to just sit there and wait for the sun to come up. Surely it'd be a waste of energy to do anything more. Hours passed by, 
slower than maple syrup right out of the too cold fridge. Eleanor did anything she could think of to pass the time, practice multiplication in her head, figure out what she'd tell her father when he found out she'd been out all night wandering the woods, anything but acknowledge that maybe she'd never get off this bridge alive. Though instead of fearing monsters, she was still afraid of earthly things like dying of wolves or boredom. To prevent at least one of those things, Eleanor put on her camera, for real this time, and began recording her goodbyes. At the very least, she thought, she could delete it if everything turned out alright. As if on cue, a light in her peripheral vision caught her attention. She quickly turned the camera off and got to her feet. Was it the sun already? No, it wasn't the right colour, and it was too small. Could it be? Hey, help! Like a moth drawn to a bug zapper, Eleanor scrambled to her feet and darted for the light. Help me! Hello? The light, or more accurately, the ancient old lady holding the light responded. Are you lost, little girl? Eleanor slowed to a quick jog, tears of relief swelling in her eyes. No child in the entire world had ever been more happy to see a weird stranger on a bridge. Yes! Oh, thank you so much. I was getting worried that I'd never see anyone again. She couldn't yet see the old woman had no eyes, or that her right arm appeared to be made of solid gold. She didn't see the many rows of bristle-like teeth, or the fingers that seemed to have twice as many bones as they should have. If she had, maybe she'd have stopped herself before running straight into the monster's arms and hugging her close. Please, will you take me home? The monster was taken aback. She'd eaten many children, but this was the first to so quickly give itself up to her. This was very fortunate for Eleanor. If the monster were more focused, she'd have unhinged her jaw and swallowed her whole before Eleanor had the chance to look up and realize she was in mortal danger. With a scream, she threw herself off the monster and back the way she came without even looking back to confirm what she saw was real. Skeptic or not, she was more prepared to face the lonely bridge before facing what seemed to be an actual monster. The old woman regained her wits and let out a cackle before chasing after Eleanor. Don't you want my help anymore? Her feet pitter-patted in such a way that it sounded like she had three sets of feet. Eleanor had never been an athletic child and was still plump with baby fat and too many Christmas sweets. But there's something about being terrified after death that really gets the adrenaline pumping. Slow down, sweetie. It's been too long since I've had a good meal. I can't keep up. Eleanor never listened, but for once, it did her some good. Her lungs burned as she grasped in just enough air to propel her into safety, though she didn't know it. The other children's carefulness was saving her. The monster was weak enough from hunger that she actually stood a chance of surviving. She was panting too hard to hear that the river was babbling below. Her eyes were too clouded with tears for her to see the sun was rising and the fog was fading away. 
the moment the light of morning reached down to the bridge, the monster let out a horrible screech and quickly scurried down into the river. But Eleanor was still running until she was off the bridge and nearly out of the woods. Finally, she slowed to a walk to let her lungs rest. She'd done it. She survived the old bridge. With a start, Eleanor looked at the camera and nearly sobbed with joy. The whole thing had been recorded. There was concrete proof of the horrible monster and her escaping. Heck, she had really only screamed the one time, so she probably looked pretty brave. The other children would be impressed with her. Her tearful rejoicing settled into a worried frown. If this was true, then what else was? Was Mr. Mason really a demon? Did she really have to worry about sewer clowns and moon vampires and ghosts? Heck, it didn't matter. All that mattered is that she survived. And if she could survive this, she could survive any crazy old thing. Her confidence rose again. No longer was she blind to the world around her. No. Now, she knew better. And she used her knowledge for good. Where did that bridge monster come from? Clearly it was weak to sunlight and could only live in the darkness. Maybe she could destroy it. But she would need help. The other children knew things, but they were too afraid to fight them. It was time for that to change. Things in this town were going to be completely different from now on. Together, they would rid this town of whatever monsters may plague it. Eleanor sprinted off the bridge and through the woods, breaking out into the road leading back home. The truck had seemingly come out of nowhere, flattening Eleanor before she knew what hit her, literally. And thus, the first child ever to survive crossing the old bridge died. Not because of the monster that haunted it, but because she was too stupid to look both ways before crossing the street.